Praise God. As some of you know, I, uh, I like to climb 14ers. 14ers, for any of you who maybe are new to Colorado, are mountains that are taller than 14,000 feet. There are 58 in Colorado, and uh, my goal is to climb all of them before I'm 58 years old. And I climbed my 30th of the 58 just this last summer. Um, and so I always do some research, you know, on the trail, on what to expect, all that. Uh, some of them are pretty simple, just follow the trail. Uh, others, you can lose the trail uh, or things, uh, you know, become steep or whatever. And there are some in particular that as you read uh, the description of the trail, all caps, do not go this way. A picture and an arrow and an X. Uh, Make sure you go this way and don't accidentally keep going straight, let's say. Because if you do, chances are you're not coming back. Because that's going to lead to a situation where you could fall off a cliff or whatever. Everybody's now excited to do 14ers. I know, right? Um, I'm so grateful for that. And then I've also, on some of the more difficult ones, gone with other friends who have done them before. Have more experience than I do. Why? Because I don't want to die. I'm so grateful for guides. I'm so grateful for the right guides who are not going to say, oh, I don't know, we'll just figure it out. It doesn't matter which way we go. We're in a series right now going through the Sermon on the Mount, and we are in the last final weeks of the entire sermon, which is Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Jesus has actually taken the majority of that sermon to give his teachings on what it looks like to live into the kingdom of heaven. We are now in the final section, which is actually, he closes the sermon out with four warnings. This is the second of the fourth of the four warnings. And, and he's giving warnings about how to continue to live into it. Last week we talked about the difference between the narrow road and the wide road. And we, how we need to not go so fast that we can't discern between the two. This week, we're talking about how Jesus says that we need to discern between guides. Between those who might lead us towards the narrow gate or those who might lead you towards the wide road. So we pick it up here in Matthew chapter 7. And we're going to go through verses 15 to 20 today. He starts out by saying, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. So a prophet is someone who speaks on behalf of God. And as they do, they are going to lead people towards life and away from destruction. So a false prophet, as Jesus is warning here, is one who claims to speak the words of God, but doesn't because their words or direction lead to destruction and not to life. They might lead to the wide road saying that it's the narrow road. Jesus starts off this warning by saying, watch out or beware. It's, it's a word with an exclamation point or two after it. And this word beware or watch out is, is, is like a, a parent saying to their child, watch out as maybe a, a, a car is moving towards them. We're not paying attention to something that if they don't watch out, they're going to get hurt. Jesus uses this phrase or this, this, this word six other times in the Gospel of Matthew. We find it throughout the Gospels. Almost all of the New Testament writers uh, use this phrase or this warning word, beware. 
Peter, James, Paul, John. Jesus uses it when he talks about hypocrites, or he uses it when he says, they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They, it's used in the New Testament when there's an encouragement to test the spirits, to be discerning about what you might be hearing. Or Paul, when he writes to Timothy, he says, there will be people who will have itching ears is the the phrase that he uses, meaning, I want somebody to tell me what I want to hear. And there will be people that will do it, is what he's saying. They will help you justify what you want to do aside from the way of Jesus. Jesus doesn't say, oh, watch out, it's a little cat that might at you. It's actually a wolf, a ferocious wolf, saying what? That could kill you. He starts off here in the animal kingdom using a metaphor of sheep and wolves, which the first century listeners to him would have been very familiar with. But he then switches to the plant kingdom to another familiar metaphor for them. And he says, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Jesus is saying several different things in here that I think we need to pay attention to. First thing that Jesus is saying to us is that false prophets are part of the landscape of following Jesus. Now, in some ways, that's a pretty disappointing thought. Disappointing thought that to think that Jesus is saying this in his day and he's talking about religious leaders, Pharisees. That's happening in the first century. We can jump ahead into the Middle Ages and talk about crusaders and those who were calling for war and killing in the name of Jesus. Or we can end up here in our day, talk about abuse in the Catholic Church or the SBC talk about the moral failures that seem to make headlines on a regular basis for pastors of all different stripes and denominations. He's highlighting that it's not okay, but it is, not no, it, but it is normal. He's saying this is not something that's just a first century issue and it's not just a 21st century issue. Jesus, in another one of his teachings, he teaches a parable and and talks about the wheat and the tares, they grow up together. And he essentially says you have to let them grow up together and then they will be sifted and determined which in fact is true and which one is false. Outwardly Outwardly they look like sheep, but inwardly they want to eat sheep. They want to use sheep for their own purposes. He also is highlighting here that to watch out for false prophets, but he implicitly is also saying, but find and follow true prophets. We need true prophets. We need those who will lead us to life and lead us away from destruction. To continue the hiking metaphor, if someone here wanted to hike horse tooth rock, you might be able to just go out this afternoon and hike. You don't have to take weeks of training and 
preparation and make sure that you hire a, several guides. And, and so, so you could just, but if you wanted to hike a, maybe one of the more difficult 14ers, you certainly wouldn't want to do that on your own. Or if you wanted to go hike Everest, uh, you wouldn't want to do that on your own. You actually want to do a lot of training. You'd hike, hire guides, hire somebody who's gone there before, a Sherpa on, on Everest, like somebody who's going to say, don't go that way, do go this way, this is where we go. We need cartographers, we need Sherpas, we need guides in the church, we need, we need elders, we need sages, we need guides for people who have, who have gone the way of life, who can help us to avoid the pitfalls that lead to destruction. We live in a world where youth is highlighted and emphasized, and oftentimes age is and the older among us oftentimes push to the side. I want to say that that might be a cultural dynamic, but it should not and need not be the way of the church. We need, as I heard not too long ago, people in the vintage season of life. <laughs> Those who have walked with Jesus for a long time. If that's you here in the room, we need you. You are needed. You're your experience of walking with Jesus and seeing the pitfalls and the different dangers and the things that look good but don't lead to life is important. Our modern day guides might not be called prophets, might be called a professor or a philosopher or a therapist or a pastor or a podcaster or an author, but the fact is, is they don't all point in the same direction. Contrary to popular opinion, not all ways of being human lead to human flourishing. Not all paths lead to the same destination. And not all guides point to the same path. Now we might think, oh, well, that's obvious. But false prophets are not as easy to spot as we would like to think. Which is why Jesus is making it a warning. If it was easy, I'm not sure that he'd need to warn anyone. It looks like a sheep, but looks like a good tree, but looks like a prophet, sounds like a prophet, smells like a prophet. <laughs> they might believe the Bible. They might read the Bible. They might even quote the Bible. But they're not living the Bible is what he's saying. Now, this is where it gets confusing. And this is why oftentimes it can be harder to spot than we would like to think. Because false prophets oftentimes use Jesus' language. So the same vocabulary, but a different dictionary. Glenn Stassen, philosopher, uh, excuse me, ethicist from Fuller Seminary, wrote in his book, Kingdom Ethics, all these teachings, talking about the teachings of Jesus, mean that we should beware of those who claim to be Christian spokespersons, but whose words tell us to give our loyalty to the ruling powers. They deceive us. We are to beware of those who claim to speak truth, but whose words try to persuade us to serve greed, war, and ethnic division. Beware of those who have put before us a corporate brand or a national flag or a racial loyalty or the almighty dollar or an image of our nation that stands for goodness against another nation that stands for evil and inflames us to make war and arouses our passions to serve that image rather than to serve God who is revealed in Jesus Christ and in the Holy Spirit. And so, Jesus' language, 
but not leading to the Jesus way. In our day, this looks like the false prophets who lead us to the false gospel of Christian nationalism. The idolatrous conflation of faith in Jesus and American patriotism. Confusing America for the kingdom of God. You know, it sounds like love for country and there is nothing wrong with loving our country. But it is actually idolatry wrapped in Christian language leading to a misplaced hope. And giving allegiance to causes and ways not associated with the way of Jesus. So don't fall for the con of someone using Christian language from the right or the left to garner support for a political agenda. We do not follow a donkey and we do not follow an elephant. We follow the Lamb of God. Christian language alone does not equal the teaching of Jesus. Hitler used Christian language. Prosperity gospel teachers use Christian language. I read someone recently who talked about the cosmic Christ and the idea of Jesus that's found in everything. Now, there might be a sliver of truth in it, but the fact is that Jesus was a real man from Nazareth that walked the earth, gave his life on a real wooden cross, died a real death, went to a real grave, came out of the grave, really resurrected, had a brand new or a resurrection body, walked the world and ascended into heaven. Jesus' language, Jesus' vocabulary doesn't always mean leading to the Jesus way. Let me also say this. Just because you hear unfamiliar vocabulary doesn't mean that someone is a false prophet. I heard somebody one time come to me and and say, Aaron, I don't hear you use the word repentance very often. And I said, huh, that's interesting. I said, do, let me ask you another question. Do, Do I Do I talk about what repentance is all about? We agreed on the definition of repentance. I said, do I talk about that on a regular basis? He said, oh, absolutely, on a very regular basis. Okay, so I'm just not using the word repentance as often as you would prefer that I would use it, but I'm talking about the idea encouraging people to do it. Yeah, that's right. Okay. Jesus also gives us this encouragement. We can identify false prophets. Even though they're not as easy as we would like to think they are to identify, we can identify them. In the Old Testament, a prophet was somebody who would speak on the behalf of God. And oftentimes, this is what's going to happen. Or if you don't turn from your ways, this is how this is going to work. The way to test whether or not they were a real prophet was to find out if what they said was true or not, came true. Wait and see. The New Testament filter is the same. Wait and see what fruit they produce in themselves and in those who follow them. Do they look more like Jesus? Do they live like Jesus? They will eventually give it away. You might not recognize them at first. They might look like a nice sheep. They might look like a good tree. But sooner or later, fruit will be produced. 
Now, here's the problem. We oftentimes look for the wrong fruit. See, we're conditioned by our culture to assess people by their professional success and sincerity. But just because someone goes to church and is successful in life, maybe they have a thriving business, drive nice cars, have a big house, or have some sort of financial security in some form or another, worldly success, doesn't mean that they're a follow, mature follower of Jesus and leading people towards His way. Just because someone is an effective leader doesn't make them godly and mature. It's possible to be effective and diseased at the same time. To have lip service and no lifestyle. Creeds without conduct. Belief without behavior. Effective on the outside, but contemptuous, selfish, and power-hungry on the inside. With a trail of broken relationships in their wake. We live in a world where there's a lot of discussion about data, surveys, on people leaving the church. Asking the question, why? Why is that happening? Some people would say, oh, people are leaving the church because the, they don't like the, what the church is asking people to do. I don't want to do that. I don't want to go in that particular way, the way of Jesus. But I believe that people aren't leaving the church because they don't do what Jesus teaches. People are leaving the church because the church doesn't do what Jesus teaches. And Jesus says, beware of the hypocrites, those who look like one thing, act like one thing, but then do something else. He says, a good tree will produce good fruit. A bad tree will produce bad fruit. In other words, fruit's getting produced no matter what. Good fruit, what is it? Galatians chapter 5, the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace. Are these being exhibited and seen? Forbearance or patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Fruit is going to be produced. And there is good fruit and there is bad fruit. Two apples. One looks good, and the other looks good. This one looks pretty good, but it's plastic. <laughs> there is nothing good about it. Juicy. Crunchy. My favorite kind. Nourishing. This will not nourish you. This will. So we have to, have to ask the question, do they, am I being nourished? Do they nourish others? Do they show mercy to those in need? In other words, our faith should look like something. This is, this is why it's a it's a myth and, a, and, and bad teaching to believe that to follow Jesus is just a personal, it's just between me and Jesus, it's all inside, it's all private. What Jesus is saying is, yes, it's personal, it's something internal, but it's got to look something like that, like something on the outside as well. It's got to come out in a particular way. Ask yourself this, do they, as somebody speaking on behalf of God, do they inspire 
me to follow Jesus' teachings? Does their teaching inspire me to follow Jesus' teaching and to become more like Jesus? Do they make me want to do the will of the Father? Or am I encouraged to doubt God? Am I encouraged to play loose and free with the Scriptures? Am I encouraged to justify somehow, in some way, what I want to do with my life? in contrast to doing what God wants me to do with my life. These are the types of questions that we should ask about those who might be leading and those who we might identify as someone who's speaking on behalf of God. John chapter 15, Jesus in another gospel says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. Same language that Jesus uses in Matthew here. He uses it again in John. And he says, you're going to produce fruit if you're connected to the vine. Too often, especially in a world that cares a lot about how we're perceived, we pay a lot of attention to the fruit. Am I producing fruit? Come on, fruit. Come on, come on, come on. But we're not to, what is Jesus encouraging? Don't focus on the fruit of your branches, but on the connection to the vine. How well are you connected to the vine? Let one spot where the vine and the branch connect. Spend all of your time keeping that as strong as possible. The fruit will come as a result. Jesus uses the word abide. To abide in Jesus. To abide in me. To put your roots down deep into the love of God. Into the strength of God into the life of God, into the way of Jesus. So Jesus gives this warning. And so maybe the question is, what do we do with this warning of Jesus? Well, Jesus doesn't say, go shoot the wolves or chop the tree down. Become a heretic hunter. He says, beware, watch out. He's not encouraging us to become overly suspicious or to embrace a spirit of cynicism. We need more of that in our world right now, right? (laughs) He is encouraging us to not be gullible. The invitation is not to become a false prophet police. The invitation is to deeper roots. The invitation is to obedience to the way of Jesus. Every week we have a weekly practice, something for all of us together to do. We might all have individual steps, but together we want to walk in the way of Jesus so that we together are formed into the way of Jesus. The weekly practice this week is to read the Sermon on the Mount, the entire sermon, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, every day. Every day this week. Why? So that you're more familiar with what Jesus had to say. More familiar with what, his, what the heart and the mind of Jesus. Now, I want to encourage us not just to read it every day this week, but to read it on a regular basis 
even beyond this series, to read it on a regular basis, not just so that we can memorize it and just know the words of it, but that we can get it in our brains and in our imaginations, into our hearts and into our feet and into our hands and into the actions of our lives. And that we can be so immersed in the teachings of Jesus, so connected to the heart and mind of Jesus, that when a false prophet comes along, and tries to lead towards life, but is actually leading towards destruction, that it becomes more easily seen. Like, I don't know, I know the way of Jesus. That's not the way of Jesus. No, I know that the way of Jesus is not that easy. I know that the way of Jesus is not that popular. I know that the way of Jesus is not me getting to do whatever I want. The way of Jesus is me dying to myself. but we won't know that if we just kind of have an idea generally out there about what Jesus thinks because oftentimes everybody else is telling you what Jesus thinks and they're not telling you what Jesus really thinks. So the appropriate response to Jesus' teaching is to do it profound, I know. But that's what he's calling us to. And so the question for all of us in here is what am I going to do with what I just heard? Not just what did I hear, but what am I going to do with what I just heard? What is the next step that the Holy Spirit is calling me to? Maybe you know it in this moment. If you don't, can I just encourage you as you leave here today and maybe you'll find yourself reading the Sermon on the Mount this week, ask God, what is it that you're asking me to, what step are you asking me to take? For some of you here today, the invitation is to follow the true and perfect prophet, Jesus the one who leads to and is life. Maybe maybe you are your own false prophet. Might not be somebody out there, but it's somebody in here. And Jesus is calling us, will you follow me? Follow the true prophet, the perfect prophet that leads to full life. And maybe you're here today for the first time. Maybe you've never surrendered your life to Jesus. Maybe you're You've wandered away and you, you got distracted and pulled off of, the, off of the narrow road. Jesus is calling you home. Jesus is saying to you today, it's never too late. You've never wandered off too far. Come home. And if that's you here today, whether for the first time or the first time in a long time, would you just under your breath say, Jesus, I give you my life. It's not the only thing we need to say to God, but it's the first thing that we need to say to God. What we're saying is, I repent. (laughs) And I turn from my way and I'm going to go your way. I believe that as we examine this passage, we also need to ask the question, am I the false prophet? I know certainly I feel, and the irony is thick, (laughs) that you're hearing this from a prophet, somebody who is speaking on behalf of God. This is what God has to say, and this is what we should do as a result. So I'm asking that question. Am I in any way leading people towards, away from life? 
And you might say, well, I'm not preaching on a platform. I'm not a pastor in the way that you are or whatever. But you are leading your kids if you are a parent. Others of you have other types of audiences or other people that you're leading. It's, quick, it's easy to just quickly give ourselves a no and give ourselves a pass. But I think we need to pause. We have to ask the question and be willing to be honest and humble so that the grace of God can pour into our lives so that we can be who God's called us to be and lead people to the place that they're called to go, to life. For some of you in here, the invitation is towards healing. Maybe you're here today and you're here very hesitantly because you've been hurt by a false prophet. You've been hurt by somebody who did claim to speak on behalf of God, but they didn't help, they hurt. So you find yourself here with carrying a lot of church hurt, pain in relationship to a leader that betrayed you or somehow harmed you in a myriad of different ways. Can I encourage you not to stay in the place of cynicism? The Holy Spirit is inviting you towards a place of healing. It is not, please do not hear me say, get over it and let's move forward. That is not the way of Jesus. The way of Jesus is to meet us exactly where we are, tend to our wounds, breathe life and provide what we need around us to be able to be restored and live into the whole fullness of life that God has for all of us. If you've been hurt in community, Scripture indicates that we are also healed in community which might be the scariest thought that you've ever heard. But Jesus is patient. The Holy Spirit is patient. And the beautiful thing is, is that God meets us exactly where we are. We sometimes feel like we need to pretend to be somewhere else so that God will meet us there. But the reality is, is that God meets us exactly where we are. We can be honest with Him. We haven't gone too far. We don't have to pretend. But instead, we can run home. I love the parable of the prodigal son in Luke 15. He's at the absolute bottom, the mess. He's made a mess of his own life. He's, he's stained his father's reputation. And he comes home, and his father runs down the road to meet him. That is the father that you have tonight, today. I don't know. I've made a mess. I don't know. I've been messed up by others. I don't know. I'm hurt. I don't know. I'm pretty cynical towards the church. I don't know. I'm pretty cynical towards leaders. I don't know. Just start walking and the whole God will run to you. So if we can, wherever you might find yourself here today, we want to come before God, ask Him to meet us, examine us, and heal us. And so, Father, we need You. We thank You, Jesus, that You care about us enough to warn us, like a parent warning a child, out of love and care. And so here today, 
We ask for rescue. We ask for restoration. We ask for renewal. We ask, Lord Jesus, that you would, that we would sense your nearness for those of us in the room who maybe have been hurt and find ourselves wounded and maybe hesitant and cynical or somehow really defensive or hands up and arms out and walls built. God, I pray that we would let you take the wall down. We'd let you tend to our wounds. God, I pray also for more true and real prophets, for people to speak on behalf of God, not for their own sake, but for yours, that we would be salt and light, that we would communicate and express who Jesus is and what his teaching is really all about, to be faithful to you and faithful to your teachings and faithful to your way. I pray that you'd surround us with true guides, true prophets, and that we together as the Mill City Church would lead people towards life, experience health and healing by the power of the Holy Spirit. This we pray in the powerful...